really it's about change, about how do you affect change? And I think that in order to do that, I, I would recommend getting a really good understanding of um, how you know, societies form and you know, like understand some sociology, understand something about economics um, and, and obviously philosophy as well. But I, you know, that sounds pretty dry, I guess, if you know, to a gentleman, oh really? But, but you know, it wasn't until I started looking at those things that I began to understand you know, how this all works, how it fits together. Because I think that this, you know, you really, I think it really, it's important to understand what system, what we mean by a system and what we mean by structure and structural change and structural reform. And until, I think until you get to grips with that, you end up going down lots of, of um, you know, blind alleys. <laughs> Graham Brown Martin is my guest on this episode of Inside Ideas with Mark Buckley, um, brought to you by 1.5 Media and Innovators Magazine. Graham founded Learning Without Frontiers, LWF, a global community bringing together renowned educators, technologists, and creatives to share provocative and challenging ideas about the future of learning. His book, Learning Reimagined, a study of global education, geopolitics, produced for the World Innovation Summit for Education, WISE, was published by Bloomsbury in 2015. Graham is the founder of Beyond Tomorrow Global, a growing international intelligence network of interdisciplinary thinkers designing a, a blueprint for society to thrive beyond the 22nd century. He is co-founder of Regenerative Global, a transformative learning consultancy based in London and New York using circular economy principles to inform, innovate learning and design practices. A sought after and popular keynote speaker Graham has in recent years given evidence to the House of Lords Select Committee on Artificial Intelligence, created an agile learning experience for senior leaders of the FTSE 100 Financial Services Company, designed a science program for primary school children using the Internet of Things, created an ex experiential program for children to learn about working, with autonomous humanoid robots and was retained by an educational technology maker to lead their product and brand development, education and communication strategies with teams in the UK, US and China. A little quote or saying by uh, someone who uh, recently left us and is very dear to, to both of our hearts, given the nature of global change transforming education around the world is one of the deepest, most ur urgent challenges we now face. With his open but penetrating gaze, Graham Brown Martin is an ideal guide through the complex terrain of ideas and innovations that might just create the new form of education that we really need. That was Sir Ken Robinson, who left us August 21st, uh, the day before Earth Overshoot Day. And uh, he, you and he had uh, many past crossing. And um, I know you, you worked on probably the book and some other projects together as well. Um, I'm very saddened to see him gone, especially for something like cancer and, and during this pandemic time. But I believe he's left things in good hands with you and many other great leaders and people that he's inspired to continue the work. Um, welcome to the show on a somber note, but Will will take it to much higher elevations throughout. But I, 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 I thought it was very fitting that we, we honor him and also uh, kind of discuss a little bit um, what he brought to you, what brought to the world and, and how you were doing this before and, and during and, and, and know him, but uh, kind of 
did I leave anything out in your biography, anything that you would like to address? I know I could go on forever, but I think it's important our viewers and listeners hear about that. Um, I mean, thank you for that, that, that lovely introduction. I mean, it, it made me sound very important indeed. Um, and, and so I sort of feel myself like um, blushing really. I mean, it's, it just that makes me sound like I know what I'm talking about. Um, so thank you. No, there's, I mean, you know, it, it's, um, it's, thank you. I'm, I'm delighted to be here, Mark. And, and thank you for inviting me to the show. I feel honored. You're, you're most welcome. And, and uh, you, you, sh you should feel honored because your bio is probably a lot longer. You do deserve any one of those accolades and you've done a lot for the world of education and uh, raising awareness, empowering women and girls and people and um, changing our our paradigm and a lot of respects on how we look at the world, how we see solving some of these global grand challenges. Um, can, can, can you give us, a, uh, and, and, and this is, uh, I don't want to dwell too much on um, uh, Sir Ken at all, but um, can you tell us kind of how you guys met, what you guys collaborated on, and, and um, <clears throat> what during this, this other depressing time of a pandemic and other world turmoil that, that we now uh, lost him, how that maybe has affected you or changed your vision or your determination to move forward in other ways? Um, yeah, of course. I mean, I, I, you know, like, like many, many of us, I mean, it's, it's, I was very sad um, to learn of his passing, um, but it did make me reflect um, on you know, on, on Sir Ken and, and what he had achieved um, and, you know, how it affected, you know, my practice and, and my interests um, with that. Of course, <clears throat> you know, Ken has, has passed, but he's still with us and will be with us, um, you know, for the, you know, for, for a long time because, you know, his legacy, I think, was, was, was starting a revolution. You know, he... I mean, he's best known, of course, for his, his talks around creativity and, and innovation and, you know, the transformation of our education system to accommodate those things for very good reason. One for individual and personal well-being, but more importantly, for the well-being of society. You know, I think that, you know, he, in, in many ways, there was much more that he was talking about as well. I mean, you know, we, our involvement really was um, not so much Collaborative collaboration, but more than uh, through learning without frontiers, you know, that was probably all uh, 15 years ago that, that we, we came properly into each other's orbit um, and giving talks and so forth. But then as, as that developed, you know, we developed a friendship and, um, you know, we would meet occasionally if he was in London or if I was in Los Angeles, um, we, we would meet up, have lunch and, and shoot the breeze and, and, and see what's going on. And I found those conversations really, you know, inspiring. Um, but, you know, he, he was looking at the, not, not just the, you know, in addition to that subject around innovation and creativity, but also the, the, the mechanics of the educational, you know, structure and, and you know, <clears throat> the, the idea of these, uh, these, these assessments and examinations, which are just, you know, pointless really. But, but he would recognize the business model in that and I think that you know I think there were other things that he would have liked to have talked about but I think everyone wanted that creativity talk which is which is fine because that's a sort of a that's what he'll be remembered for and I think that's a good thing to be remembered for and I but it's it's you know it strikes me that many people have been having this conversation about creativity and innovation I mean you can go you know before um so ken i mean to john dewey and and so forth so this is a conversation which has been going on for a very long time and yet here we are you know there's uh, I, I was talking to some people the other day about you know going back to school because of the pandemic you know parents have had their children you know being homeschooled or, or having online teaching because there's very little online learning going on it's all online teaching you know, schools were thinking, okay, we're going to digitize and virtualize a classroom and then give it to you via a screen. So it's had the same kind of limitations. And of course, what was happening there is difficult to contain. And so young people would be going off and doing some actual learning that they were passionate about. But parents were also noticing that what those, what their children were learning 
and being tested for was the same as what they were learning and were tested for when they went to school. And their parents and their grandparents. And yet, you know, the world nearly has nearly 8 billion people on it. We've had, you know, we're, we're transitioning to um, AI and automation. You know, we're having major climatic events and a global pandemic. What is it that we're sending our kids to school? And it's funny, we're rushing into this new normal. You know, the, but it's, not, it's the old normal. You know, kids going back to school with masks and everything else, but we're still going to do the same thing. It's like a, like a mad computer system that's gone wrong. It's like, it's like it's just continuing. It's like it doesn't recognize what's outside. And that's what Ken, I think, was, was recognizing. And, you know, it was nice, great, fantastic to see the outpouring you know, on social media, on LinkedIn, everyone, you know, everyone had something nice to say about, about Ken, and rightly so. But what are we going to do about it, exactly. is my point. I mean, 60 million people viewed his TED Talk. 60 million people who would have been touched by that. And believe, I mean, how many people have we heard who come up to us and say, oh, it inspired me. What if it inspired you? Do something. We're not, you know, we're still, you know, it's like, yes, it, yes, that creativity, Ken Robinson, yeah, but we're still going to go back to the old thing. You know, I mean, surely, I mean, surely, I mean, the pandemic, I mean, you know, you and I both know, you know, the, the, the bigger picture on climatic change, and that's really the big one. You know, yeah. we know about air pollution killing 7 million people every year, yeah. but it's not on your doorstep. And if it's not on your doorstep, hmm, you know, it's happening to those Africans or those Indians, it's not really happening to us. Which is, which is appalling, but it's also kind of how we operate, you know, in society. And I think that has to change. The it's pandemic... almost that evolutionary. So if we see a lion, a tiger, a bear or something, we're like, okay, we've got to react. We've got to get away. We've got to flee. We've got to do something. But then if we're presented with another graph or a chart, we're like, okay, climate change is growing exponentially. Here's a graph here, you know, IPC report that's 200 pages, 3000 pages, whatever uh, says this, that we're doomed and gloom. They're like, oh, another report. You know, there's, there's not that flight or fight or action. Uh, you know, it's great to hear a TED talk. I, I love this TED talk as well. Um, but how do we put that into action? How do we not get overwhelmed with this existential thing and say, hey, here, here, here's how we put it into action. Um, that, that's a rabbit hole you're almost getting down into right, right off the bat. And I, and, and I want to get, I mean, we're going to go into some because uh, uh, there, there's so much we need to catch up on. It's been years yeah. since we've seen each other. But uh, I, I do want to tickle that. Is that a, a civil, civilization framework? This, the system's not working for us anymore. We're just... It's Einstein's problem theory. We're just continuing to repeat the same, use the same thinking to, to you know, with the same yeah. problems instead of thinking a little bit different or, or yeah. views or thoughts. Yeah, so it's fabulous that you, 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 you asked that and mentioned that. Um, so let me, a very short story. I'll try to keep it short. No so problem, please. I, I had this epiphany um, at the end of last year you know, I mean, I, I, I've been spending a lot of my career, you know, flying around the world, I'm ashamed to say now, giving keynotes, you know, trying to get this message across. I mean, because what I was doing was, you know, bringing together, you know, people seem to know me from the education perspective, but, you know, different phases of my life. I've done entertainment and technology and economics and, and so forth. And what my talks really are bringing those together and joining the dots between these disparate interdisciplinary subjects. It's part of how my brain works. Um, to try and get people to, to have this conversation. But anyway, I was in Malaysia to give a talk to about, uh, I think it was like 4,000 uh, educators uh, from, from around the region. And, um, you know, it was great fun, obviously, and everything else. And this, this one particular day in the morning, I was, I was you know, out having breakfast. It was beautiful sunshine. You know, you know how beautiful Malaysia can be. Um, and then all of a sudden, it went, went, went dark. You know, and then the storm came in and it was it suddenly you had to, everyone had to be in their rooms. And it was just, you know, the, 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 the rain that was coming down, the wind. And I was looking out of my window and I had this really lovely room. And I'm looking out and I'm seeing the storm drains going out into the sea. The evening before, I'd been no noticed all these 
um, plastic bottles, drinking water bottles that were in the storm, you know, in the sort of the, 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 those ditches. But then I could see all these bottles coming out of the storm drain and, 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 and everything else. And, and in, it, it's kind of almost poetic because I was then reading the New York Times, um, which were reporting some information which I, I knew but had, hadn't been published, which was um, where I was sitting and, and, and a lot of places in that region would be underwater. In, in 30 years time, maybe sooner, you know, along with, um, you know, parts of Egypt and, 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 and you know, it's, it's, it's hard. But then I was sort of sitting there thinking, wow, I mean, okay, this was monsoon, but I get the sense of what it might be like. I mean, probably worse than that in a, in a major climate. This is yet to come. We know it's yet to come. So I'm thinking, well, Gosh, I'm, I'm keep giving this talk. I'm giving the same talk, really, in different varieties of different forms for ages. But it's not it's not landing. Everyone's agreeing with me, but not not doing anything. I mean, this is I guess Ken's frustration must have been like this as well. Like, I'm feeling that I'm not not trying to put myself on the same level, but it was. Just, you know, and then you know, then all of a sudden, epiphany, the penny dropped. You know, I I I'd failed to link things, in, but then it dropped, and as I just realised that. You know, for a long time, you know, to give, give my talks to educators, you know, I would say that, well, the purpose, what is the purpose of education? You know, I would say, is it to produce human capital for the economic development plan? And that sounds horrible, doesn't it? People as yeah, human yeah, capital, yeah. right? Or I would say, is it to equip present and future generations with the skills and knowledge to thrive um, in, a, in a rapidly changing world? And of course, you know, I was really big on that last one, you know, because everyone, everyone agrees with that, right? Yeah. But then it occurred to me that I was wrong. The answer to the purpose of education, I'm not talking about learning, I'm talking about education, you know, the, the, the system of education, the structure of education is to provide human capital for the economic development plan. There's no arguing, there's no getting away from it. I mean, you know, look at Singapore and their education system. It was, you know, Lee Kuan Yew, rest in peace, you know, and the People's Action Party, I mean, that was all predicated. You know, he looked at every single structure in order for it to take it from a sort of post-colonial swamp to a major uh, financial services powerhouse was to, to, to use education as a way as developing human capital to fit into that growth plan. And if you look at it, that's the same everywhere on the planet, pretty much in the Western world at least. Um, but then I thought, ah, if we accept that, we accept that as a thing. What happens when the economic, in the, in the global economic model changes? What happens when it shifts? Because that economic model, the one that we're in at the moment, we know it's broken. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's extractive, it's oppressive to the majority of people in the world. You know, if you're not white, if you're not male, it, it's oppressive. If you, you know, it, 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 you know it's structurally violent to them and the planet. So this, so we have this, this is before the pandemic, remember? Um, and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, this is, so why is it gonna shift? What, you know, it's like, you know, cause we have been talking about this for an awful, awful long time. And then it occurred to me that there's a convergence of things happening. You know, we are, you know, we will take climate change and the environment and our one and only home seriously at, at, some, at some point, hopefully soon. Um, and that is a sort of catalyst for a kind of change really. Because actually, I mean, it's like, it's bad for business if you've got no, no consumers, I guess. You know, capitalism fails then. But the other thing, of course, is that you know, we're, we're seeing a, a new generation coming through, you know, Generation Z, you know, there's 2.5 billion of them, you know, the sort of, uh, you know, 10 to 25 year olds. And, you know, like all generations, they have, you know, they, they, they're like teenagers. I mean, you know, you know, not fetishizing them, but, you know, like all, all generations, they, 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 have, they, have their, they have their agenda. And I think their agenda is to save the planet. You know, and I, you know, you'll sort of look at some of their icons, you know, the obvious ones like Greta Thunberg and Malala, you know, there's a, an environmentalist and there's a, you know, someone that's, that's passionate about education and so forth. And that, that gives me the optimism, that, 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 that gives me hope because 2.5 billion of them is the largest generation of human history. And, you know, they are, they will make the, the decisions that they make, the decisions who they vote for, the decisions about what they buy and how they consume will be pivotal in my opinion in changing that economic model so and i think there have to be some other levers as well but i can see us you know i hope maybe it's idealism you know i have children i have to be optimistic um 
but a transition from this you know extractive linear economy that's just based on pulling stuff out of the ground i mean it just goes way back you know to you know just about the second world war and and, and before, you know the extraction of oil and everything else because economics is is the science of studying how we deal with scarcity that's what it's about it's how we manage scarcity and it's different plans for how we manage scarcity. it's just a plan it's designed and the economic model that we have at the moment is designed with extraction and with the, with, the, with the, you know resources and everything else and so and if you look at that it permeates throughout our entire well you know there's only so many people that can get an a you know in a school test there's only so many people that can get this there's only so many people who can be rich it's it's this kind of extraction 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 but it's designed to be like and you know in many respects it's done us very well the fact that we're talking to each other over a video connection and you know by food in the fridge and everything else is, is testament to that economic model what we didn't realize of course is that the the actual um price isn't in the purchase cost it's like you know it, it would be offsetting all of those things as a result of our economy and you know I'd be prepared to be generous as perhaps, you know, a hundred years ago when this was formed, you know, Hayek, the economist in the US rather than Keynes, you know, but we didn't know, you know, maybe we didn't know that extracting oil and burning it and, and throwing stuff away and all that kind of stuff. Maybe we just didn't know, but we do know now. Can, can that shift? Can we shift? Can we move? And I think actually Gen Z, but it's not just Gen Z, it's obviously who they influenced before and after their generation. Can that influence the things that, how we make things, how we design things, how we, the things that we sell? Because I think if you, if you offer like a, you know, it's possible to make products that are regenerative. It's possible to make, to keep the components and the stuff that we extract in, in, in continual use in a circular economy. So, and it doesn't necessarily need to cost more because it's a design issue. I mean, it's like, you know, we've been designing, you know, waste and pollution into our products. You know, so, you know, someone thought it was a good idea that they could glue the battery inside my mobile phone because it makes it all nice and pretty. But it doesn't make it serviceable. It doesn't keep the components in use. And though, you know, Apple, I'm not picking on them, you know, they have a machine that will recycle. But, you know, we all know that a lot of these phones are thrown in a landfill and, and everything else. And, and, and all that. And, but also the cost of extracting out isn't just the materials, it's also the human cost, you know, sort of slave labor involved and everything else. But if we could say, like, let's take a white, white goods, you know, we take a, here's a washing machine, right? That's designed using circular economy principles. It's designed to waste and pollution out. It keeps the materials in, you know, you can wash an entire load of clothes with one, you know, with, with a, one point of water and it turns, it, it cleans that water and turns it into drinking or whatever. You, that, you understand that kind of, yeah. you know, sounds like a magical system device. But we, circular, could, yeah. we could do it, right? So here's this one to Gen Z, and here's this one, which is the old way of doing it, which basically you have to change it in five years time, but don't worry, just throw it in the, it, it, it out of the trash and, 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 and all that kind of, the kinds of, you know, I, I think that most people, I mean, the generations that would go for the one that doesn't destroy the planet. I mean, it, it doesn't have to be, because at, at that scale with 2.5 billion people, you could build that at scale. You know, so it doesn't, it, it actually costs less, because actually this is the point, it's like actually doing these things costs less. So I was thinking that, could be one of the levers to switch us to a, you know, sort of. I, I know it is a, a lever for, for sure. It's an, as absolutely is a, a lever and, and you're taking us down so many rabbit holes. We're, I'm so we, sorry. We, we've got, no, you don't need to be sorry. We're going to have to put this into two podcasts. This is so fabulous material because we, we haven't even really gotten, we haven't even tickled the surface yet. And we're already deep in, into it. I mean, there, you know, uh, as an educator, as an innovator, as a futurist, as somebody who's been doing this for such a long time, um, it's the it's the overview effect. We're all on the same spaceship Earth, and and there is no throwaway. It all remains here. So somehow it has to be worked back into the system and kept in in a circular process. Otherwise, it comes back to to really affect human health, our environment. Uh, uh, you know, because the the trash does pile up eventually. You know, if it's not done in, in that that method. So, I'm in full alignment with you, and also you address that the the system's not working for us anymore. There's the whether it's the economy, 
capitalism, whether it's um, whether it's uh, the, the the nationalistic models of, of economy that are out there, they're just not working for us anymore. Uh, what our listeners don't know is we've known each other for a little while. We haven't had too much time to to really interact with each other over the the years, except for online uh, cordialities and keeping in touch with each other. But uh, we, we met through Kinternet and and have um, tried to you know stalk each other online. I follow you avidly because when when I heard you speak back then and got to know you, I, I just was absolutely fascinated not only with the way your mind works the way you see the big system the, the complexity of the, uh, the way our world works and the systems of and how education ties into all of that as well as innovation you know keeping up with our exponentially growing world this innovation um because you've doing been doing this for so long there's a certain amount of not only knowledge, but resilience into your life that you, you, you've been talking about. You've been preaching, evangelizing, and trying to educate people about it for a while. But I presume, and but I, I really know, that you've applied a lot of these things into your own life. And you've, you've done it because you, you want to also try to empower people to apply it and change the system and apply it into their lives. Has any of that helped you to weather this pandemic, this hard time, not only with the, the pandemic, but Black Lives Matters, Beirut, uh, what's going on, you know, Hurricane Laura and many of the other turmoils, these things where we're saying, oh my God, are we facing a collapse? Is, is the whole system falling apart? You know, um, has that helped you weather this time, that knowledge, that experience? I, I think... Yes, I mean, it, it's, it's given me a, a sort of perspective on what's happening at the moment. And I think that perspective gives me a sort of a sense of, of resilience, but it's also um, a sense of frustration. You know, the point I was saying about earlier about the, um, you know, the, what, what education's role is, um, and it, it, it follows, you know, the, the, the economy, the economic model, because the economic model is our, that, that really forms our beliefs. It, it becomes our consciousness in a way because the structures that are, that are supporting that, that model. You know, education is one of them, religion is another, mass media is another, the political system is another, and the judicial system is another. And I think that, that being able to look at that and understand that clearly, you know, that, that's what you're talking about. When people are talking about systems, and you know, for example, when they talk about systemic racism or structural racism, what they're talking about is this system and these structures. I mean, this is you know well known. I mean, in terms of sociology and, and uh, but also in the economics. I mean, you know, quite often when you talk about that, you get accused of being a Marxist. Yeah. Um, which is there's worse things to be. There's a lot effect. worse things. But but you know, it's important to realize that Karl Marx was an economist, um, and it was just another economic model that he was putting forward. I mean, you know, theoretical or otherwise. I mean, it, it's sort of a, a conflating that with authoritarian leaders that in time, you know, use that to create versions of communism is, is in, in, incorrect. Um, but he, you know, he was talking about different ways of managing this. And so it's really interesting, Mark, that, that you know, we're seeing a number of things happening. You know, the, the, a number of movements are at, at a zenith. You know, Black Lives Matter, the LGBTQ plus movement, the feminist Me Too movement, the environmental movement, they're all having a zenith during a global pandemic. Now, I don't think that's a coincidence. You know, I think that's a consequence, a consequence of the current system that we're in. And it's very hard to imagine a different system. It's like, you know, telling a goldfish doesn't really see the water. You know, you change it, you can't imagine what that might be like. So I can imagine what, the, what, what, what new really means. Um, but the point is about those movements is that actually they all demand, quite rightly, the same thing. You know, a, a, a different operating system, you know, a different global economic model which shapes our beliefs and values and conduct so that it isn't oppressive and, and includes, you know, those populations 
that is designed, because that's what economies are, designed for people and planet. And, and profit, fine. I mean, it's not, it, it, this idea that it's somehow anti-capitalist is, is complete nonsense. Because the version of capitalism we have at the moment is designed to support this current system, which we know is oppressive, which we know is destroying the planet. You know, it's not, not, not that we have a choice about changing it. I mean, yeah. you know, it depends on when we change it. Because, you know, it, this can't be, this can't be a, a game where you win by being the last person on the planet with the last glass of water. I mean, that's insane. So yeah. when we look at those movements, you know, then this is the, the point about the resilience, the understanding that they're connected. Now, the, the frustration I've been having during this lockdown and everything else is having those conversations and trying to encourage people to see the system, you know, just in a way dispassionately, but to see how those movements, BLM, LGBTQ+, Me Too, Feminism, Environment, how, how all, all of them are connected. You know, there is a sort of divide and conquer, which kind of works, which is actually, you know, let's not let, let them combine. But if you actually combine them, you know, that's, that's the majority of the planet, right? I mean, it, it's because it's yeah. the, the, the system that we have at the moment is being optimized um, for uh, straight white men. I mean, I don't say that as any sort of self-hating straight white man. Yeah. But it, it, it just is. It's just a fact. I mean, you can see it in, in you know, the things that have been revealed. I mean, the, the issues around statues, for example, I mean, it's ridiculous kind of, you know, uh, sort of nostalgia and, 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 and feeling of something for a inanimate object, which is representative of a system which has been optimized for only a very small, narrow population on the planet it is revealing. And so actually, why? Are these organizations getting pushback from you know the authoritarian rulers of that system why is Greta Thunberg being you know treated with disdain um, by presidents um, by the president you know a president's followers and, and so forth why why is the are women told to mind their tone um, you know when they're merely stating a view which is different to, 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 to the, an opposing view. You know, how can being an anti-racist be declared that you are a extreme far left Marxist? How did that happen? How did wearing a mask in a global pandemic become a left wing? It, it, this is polarization, it's crazy. But it, yeah, it, yeah. I think it's because it's, you know, and actually Marx did write on this. I mean, when the, the economy, which is society's foundation, the base that's that's how we manage the resources on the planet when that comes under attack to change to support other people to invite other people in to include them so we don't have this you know th this kind of society the structures you know the education structure the religion everything else you know judicial police pol political and so forth will then suddenly come to stabilize that and it's it it's it's not, it's not necessarily deliberate, it's not unconscious of how societies work. And I think that's the thing, is it, to, to try and understand that. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, I was having conversations with people in the Black Lives Matter movement, and I talk about structural racism. I said, well, you know, can you explain that you know, in terms of what those structures are? And then, then the conversation stopped because it hadn't been understood. You know, it was, a, it was a term, structural racism, or structural oppression, or systemic racism, but it, it wasn't fully understood by a lot of people. I mean, obviously not everyone, but I mean, it's, it's a lot of people that didn't, didn't really understand it. And, and I think that's important because once we understand that, it gives us the opportunity to change. Now, the, pro the challenge there is that if we look at history, and history can tell us what's happening now, I believe, is that the only way that we've managed to do that sort of structural reform you know, is, is through three particular ways, uh, war, uh, revolution or catastrophe. Now, one could argue that we're heading for all three at the moment. But the problem with all of those is that it requires, you know, it, it involves the, the 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 death of you know millions of people and destruction to the planet. And it's like we we must avoid that, um, you know. And if we go back in time, I mean, during you know when the last time this happened, the last time there was a structural reform. You know, in the 1920s, there was a social political theorist called Antonio Gramsci, 
um, who was imprisoned under Mussolini. Um, and, you know, he wrote some amazing things. I recommend, you know, the, the listeners to just sort of tap into Gramsci. Um, but one of the things he said, and I'm, I'm going to misquote this, but I'll try and get the gist, gist of it. What, he said that, the, the, this is the late 1920s, he said that, you know, we are, you know, it's because we are in this interregnum, they call it, it was Latin for interruption. They normally use it when the Pope changes, it's time in between. Um, during this interregnum, because the old has not yet died, therefore the new cannot be born. During this time, morbid symptoms will appear. And that was describing what was happening in Europe and America and everywhere, you know, the planetary thing. But he was describing this sort of, uh, that, at that time, this, swift, this movement to the populist uh, right wing, you know, this kind of view, so, and, and German and Italian expansionism. You know, and of course they were in a long line of other European expansionists. I mean, you know, Europe, Europe expanded. But so during that time, he was sort of more business, but it's important to understand what he was saying was because when he said the old, he meant the status quo. Business and, and, as usual. Yeah, and the new, he, the new happens, it's going to happen, you know, but we don't know what it is and, it, and it's, it, it's struggling to burst through, but it can't because the gatekeepers of the old are still in control because they get into the control situation because you've benefited from them. You know, it's like why when you go to, to most corporations in the world, you see a white man, you know, this is how that's designed. Um, but change will happen. And I think that, you know, back to the point about how, you know, the resilience, how do we get to the other side? And what is occupying my mind is how we get to the new without destruction of people or planet. How do we, you know, mitigate that? Um, because we have to get to the new. And I think the, the, the biggest challenge that we have at the moment is that we are constantly looking at what's happening right now. You know, we wake up in the morning, we look at the, you know, whatever news source that we do, whether it's social media or otherwise, we go, oh, what has, that, what has that politician done now? What have they said? How outrageous that is. I mean, this is, you know, it, as we know, over the last 10 years, it's got worse and worse and worse. I mean, there's nothing that could happen from, you know, from some of these governments that would surprise you anymore. And it's, you know, it's a dead cat uh, strategy. You know, it's like, the, you know, when there's something else happening, you throw a dead cat onto the table. And everyone goes, oh, there's a dead cat. And, and forget all the other things they're talking about. And the thing is, we are, as a, as a global society, falling for that. You know, it's like, as soon as something else is going on over here, say something crazy. Say something about the military. Uh, you know, say something, you know, the, it, it, we know these stories that are going on. But I caution us is if we continue to look at that stuff and ignore designing where we want to go and thinking about where we want to go and designing the next global economic system, we will get what we're given. We will have to accept it. And at the moment, you know, it's looking like authoritarian um, you know, rule. You know, it doesn't, you know, the, we're yeah. talking about it going to something, you know, beautiful, something dictatorship, something, authoritarian you know, rule. We're also, yeah, it, I agree with you totally. We're getting distracted with this, you know, the cat that's thrown on the table, we're getting distracted with the fake news or saying, no, it's all about just this one facet. No, it's, it's much more complex and education uh, and intelligence really uh, ties deeply into that. I see it and you, you can correct me if maybe I'm wrong. I'm glad that you brought up these recent examples um, where we've had some, some changes, some different uh, uh, shifts, but it's this big history, you know, this big history of our world about, about, about what has happened that I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm worried, but I'm, I wonder if the educational system or the Gen Z who are really vital in this role are getting that correct information of the big history, like, <clears throat> I'll give you a couple of examples, and, and you mentioned one as well that was more recent. We've had um, more than 12 civilization framework collapses, early Mesopotamia, early antiquity, Incas, Aztec, Mayas, Greeks, uh, Romans, on and on. And as you also said, the majority of them, all, all but two, and you, you're well more versed than, than I am, uh, fell because of an ecological environmental collapse 
and alls we have left now are, are the ruins of those and, and some a little little fragments of cultural history uh, left. But mainly today we're going out on vacation and taking a selfie, a, a photo, you know, of the ruins, but we're not understanding the big picture of what that truly means. And then the two that weren't a ecological or environmental collapse were some kind of a conflict or, or, or other type of, of collapse. And I personally uh, feel we're also this unease, this that we're in the midst of, you know, a lot of bad decisions, a lot of nationalism, a lot of uh, culmination of things coming together. Um, that we we need to to keep this bad system, this global bad system afloat or spin the plate while we somehow transition to something new. Um, you know that I'm an advocate for the sustainable development goals, and um, I speak about them a lot, and I'd love to get your views or opinions. Uh, there's a few things. One, it's the first ever global moonshot it's a historical precedence 197 countries came together for the first time ever and decided on a global action plan to december 2030 uh, and the paris agreement the sustainable development goals were done before in september 24th and then the paris agreement came a, a little bit later in december um, uh, where we agreed that we wouldn't uh, we would cap the warming at 1.5 and not go um, not go above that. Um, I believe not only is that a historical precedence, but all nations at one point or another, whether they understood the full plan or not, agreed that that's the roadmap and the plan that we should take, the future that we, that we wanna reach. But what they didn't understand, one, they didn't present it to humanity properly. They didn't educate us on how to view them, how to understand them. But the, 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 the biggest, misunderstanding is that it is a brand new total new operating system there's not going back to business as usual it's not a tweak on business as usual it's not even a modification it is a total new global economy total new level of setting the operating standard globally at a much higher level and saying as a world we can still have dictators and crazies and systems and nations but we're all going to say that we're never gonna let humanity get under this level ever again. And there's still gonna be mistakes and crazies and things, but it's just that we're saying never again below this level and it's kind of a new operating system, not only innovation, digitization, economies, gender equality, no poverty, no hunger, on and on. These, this new infrastructure is what, what it will provide us. Um, but hell, it, it just seems like, you know, did we understand that? Do we understand that it's really a, a new, a new, a new hope, a new shift? The quality education, I think, is number four on the sustainable uh, yeah, development goals, which which is so vital to educate us even what it means. But not only that, to change the entire system we've been working on, which I think could change. And so I would love to hear your thoughts and feelings in this because what not only we're, we're talking about you know circular economy regenerative what what new models are out there could the sustainable development goals could the paris agreement even though we're we've probably strayed away from it or not unified on it as we should be could that be a solution what are your thoughts yeah, i mean it's it's a, it's a it's an interesting question and, and it's one that comes up quite a bit actually um and I'm going to try and pull a few of those strands together because you, you mentioned like Gen yeah. Z and are they getting the right information or all this kind of business, which I think is a very important question. Um, and then, you know, the SDG, the Sustainable Development Goals and SDG4, of course, education. And then the idea that education, if we do get education right, then we can change society. So I'll, I'll start with the, the end one and sure. then work my way back. So the, if we change education, will it change society? No. It's, it won't. And, and the reason why I, I'm, I'm definite about that, you know, this is this back to the, the point I was making earlier and, and also Ken Robinson and, and many, many others, you know, been having this conversation about, you know, no one will disagree uh, that we need an education system that is going to uh, allow our children to thrive 
you know, when I, when I did book the book, I, I, I traveled, you know, it must have been five times around the planet. Sorry, climate, everything else, though, you know. But it was to visit people in everywhere. You know, I went into, you know, refugee camps on the Syrian border, um, you know, to California in the offices of Google. I mean, it was like, you know, up a mountain in China after an earthquake. I mean, just looking to put, put all around the world, talking to different you know, children, parents, um, teachers, thought leaders, you know, people like Chomsky and Ken and, and all that kind of stuff, you know. What came out of that was a, a sort of common theme. Doesn't matter where they were, parents just wanted their children to thrive. That's a universal norm. That's a universal norm. And so no one would, would, would disagree that that's what edu you know, education should equip, but, but it doesn't. What does education do? And this is to answer your, your, your Gen Z question about education is, is it's, um, you know, I mean, it is a, is a cultural reproduction system. Um, you know, it's, it's, we had a thing here in the UK, in England, just recently, um, where because uh, we had to cancel the examinations that 16-year-old and 18-year-olds had, you know, the, the ones that will let you get into a university and so forth, they weren't able to take those tests because of, you know, the pandemic. And yet, you know, even though there was a pandemic, universities were adhering to this, you know, this gatekeeping model. Um, and so what the, what the English, you know, what they did in England and Wales was the, the Department for Education decided to uh, write an algorithm um, that would determine what grades these young people would have, would have received. Which, which kind of, you know, if you say it quickly, sounds like a cool idea, right? It's like, you know, you, you would, would take into account everything you've done and where you go to school and what your background is and everything else. And of course, they, the, the algorithm did exactly what it should do. But in doing so, it exposed the structural inequalities in the system in that, you know, if you came from a you know, particular kind of background and you went to a you know, highly paid independent private school and everything else, then you got these grades. If you went to a, you know, if you were you in, a, in, a, in a less affluent area, in a, you know, in a, in a, in a poorly performing school, perhaps, or, or whatever, you would be, you would get downgraded. And so what, what it did was really, I mean, people got very upset about the algorithm and everything else, but they didn't fail to grasp that that's, that's, that's how our system works. I mean, yeah. it's just, you know, it's a bit like the, um, you know, Google, the search engine. I mean, if you put it in there, you know, criminal or whatever, it will pick up certain kinds of you know, stereotypes, which are actually not true, but it reflects our society. And so bringing those in closely, I mean, I, you know, I think it's, you know, it's strange, isn't it, that, you know, the things that, you know, we have, we have subjects that are compulsory in, in, in English. You have to, you know, like maths, English. I mean, it's not that you can understand. But philosophy, economics, sociology, these are regarded as kind of, well, particularly sociology, for example, and political science, are regarded as sort of a, you know, or media studies even. It's like, oh, it's a silly subject, it's not worth very much. But how, how can the study of how societies evolve? And, and, you know, imagine being, when you're armed with that knowledge, and then you have to kind of think that, you know, maybe that's a plan. Maybe, maybe you don't really want people to be uh, aware and active and active participants in their democracy. Because, you know, you can't have a democracy if you don't have, you know, informed people. You know, so, and, and it's interesting to look at the statistics at the moment in, the, in terms of voting behavior. Used to, voting behavior used to be um, socioeconomic you know, background. You know, if you were one particular socioeconomic group, you would vote this way. And if you were another one, you'd vote the other. That's not the case anymore. Now, the case, um, the, 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 the key indicators of voting behavior now are age, back, you know, race, and education. And it turns out that if you know, you're not, not particularly well educated and you're this particular type and this background, you will vote to, the, to, 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 to populist parties. And there's lots of, you know, we, we, it's another rabbit hole that we could go down. Um, but you know, in, in terms of how marginalized um, societies, even when the you know, in indigenous societies are then politicized and weaponized and, and so forth. So I don't think that you know, in the education system, when I say education, not learning, I mean, learning and education is, is they're not the same thing. Um, I don't think that Gen Z are getting it from there. Where they are getting it from, though, and I can contest it, is I have a 14-year-old daughter who I'm very proud of. Uh, she's dual heritage, her mother's Ghanaian, and she's been activated 
during this time off. She couldn't be, she also couldn't be less interested in what the school was sending her. In fact, she ignored all of it. But she got activated by the Black Lives Matter movement. And then as a result of that started researching her own research about things, started learning sociology and learning about politics and economic models. I think she's 14. Not, you know, never been interested in these kinds of things before. And she was getting this from TikTok. You know, and this is Gen Z, they live in TikTok and it's not all, you know, I mean, there's some funny stuff on there and, and all that stuff, but there's also some very cool stuff. And that generation talking about these issues and that encouraged her because that inflamed her passion to go and find out more. And I, 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 I kid you not, I, you know, I've worked with Noam Chomsky and I, you know, he's one of my heroes. She would be able to have a conversation with him and, and hold her position very, very well. I mean, I'm sure they would be you know, violently in agreement with each other. And I think that's interesting. I mean, that's really online learning, you know, but, but, but you know, I mean, you know, I, I Donald Trump, for example, was a shot TikTok down. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, you know, all kinds of reasons for that. But so I, I, I kind of, I'm still, I still remain optimistic. And then back to this point then about education changing. Um, society. The problem with that, of course, is that like the SDGs, which sound wonderful, they are responding to that existing framework. You know, if that framework, you know, that global economic model wasn't like it was, we wouldn't need the SDGs. You know, the fact that we need them is a testament to how broken our world is because poverty is man-made. It's not natural, you know, it's an it's a, it's a outcome, it's a consequence of that global legal world. Now, it's, it's, it's laudable, it's wonderful that we, un, we can see the inequalities in society and then we want to get all the countries to agree to make it a little bit better. But it's not looking at the real cause of the problem, it's maybe treating some symptoms not, you know, I mean, you can treat the symptoms of cancer, but you're going to die if you don't treat the cancer. And the cancer is the global economic model. And the problem with the SDG fours, of course, is they're forced to operate within that model. And there's a consequence, you mentioned, you mentioned SDG four. The consequence of that is that the, they are being rapidly privatized. Because in the, you know, in the, in the, the global model and is, 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 is a neo, you know, some sort of neoliberalism, it's free markets and everything else. And then as a consequence of that, you know, you're seeing the, the SDG fours going through that prison, that lens. And don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm absolutely supportive of these things. I, I actually, of course, I agree. You know, I mean, the SDG four, which I know most about, you know, the, the issues around every child should have access to, you know, quality and equitable learning. But what's happening there is you've got, for example, on the African continent, you know, you've got corporations there, you know, for-profit corporations going in and, you know, providing what they call affordable learning, you know, but it's private, you know, and it's, it's essentially profiting from the, from the bottom of the pyramid, you know, so it doesn't really matter, you know, if you, if you, you know, you're living on subsistence or you're, you know, you're, you make your money from selling a crate of tomatoes on your head every day, um, you know, you look at, you know, they want, like all parents, they, you want your, your children to do well. And so then, so then hand over maybe, you know, it, you know, it sounds, in the West sounds like good value, like $20 US dollars per month to put your child through a school. But that's, that's a lot of money to, to a lot of families. And so therefore not every child can go. But what, that, what these do, I mean, there's one um, provider called Bridge, international academies they have like you know many hundreds of schools particularly in kenya and uganda and i think they're opening up in india um this is a company which is commercial it's registered in delaware where, you know obviously tax arrangement there it has investment from um bill gates it has investment from mark zuckerberg um it has investment from the world bank and from Difford and everything else and what it does is it, it uses uh, technology to deliver um scripted lessons that a, you know, a non-qualified teacher uh, will read to a classroom. And it, and it actually says everything on this cheap tablet, you know, even to tell them when to rub the board. You know, this is a very narrow version of education. And, and you know, when I've spoken to this before, uh, people, you know, people in the West, you know, in, in, in influential people will say, well, 
what kind of education were they getting before? And of course they weren't. So surely that's better, but it's not, it's not better. Um, You know, it's a sort of educational colonialism. Um, It's actually impoverishing their education. It's not allowing, because the real issue is in SGG4 isn't about privatizing it. That's not, you know, that's that's a perverse, cynical attack on SGG4. It's not developing local expertise. You know, there are challenges on the African continent, you know, in the global south, there are challenges because of our system. But they're not aiming for that. They're thinking, okay, how can we profit from this? You know, it's like the sort of like, it's basically turning the classroom into Uber. You know, you know, when you go, when you jump inside an Uber car or a Lyft car, um, you know, there's a driver is being told what to do by a, by a, by an app on a, on a mobile device. You know, and it deals with the engage, you know, interaction between me and the driver. And the, you know, the driver just follows whatever that machine says. You know, so eventually it's going to be a self-driving car. And it'll take the driver out entirely. But it doesn't have to be particularly skilled. So people think about Uber and they think how profitable that is. And they think, okay, well, wow, why don't we have, you know, given that teachers cost a lot of money to develop and everything else, you know, if you invest in that, you know, a fraction, by the way, of what we invest in the military, um, well, we could have a self-driving classroom. Isn't that a great idea? The Uber of education. And that (laughs) fundamentally misunderstands what learning and teaching is about, even within education. Because what's happened is it's it's turned what they call education into content distribution. You know, content distribution. And then, you know, the inculcation of facts and procedures and then just vomiting them out at an examination, whether that's in your high school or your university or whatever. And of course, this is a business model, you know, Pearson, you know, the largest education company in the world, the book publisher, its business model is copyrights, okay? Copyrights on all those books. It has no yeah. motivation to make those books free. Yeah. So where they are, you know, that's why they've invested in Bridge is, you know, this is a way, you know, because it's an interesting model and it's, it's what we all do, you know, it's amazing. I mean, they sell you the textbooks and they own the examination, the measurement. And it's a kind of closed loop. It's like, you have to remember the textbooks. You're like, memorize them because we all did that, right? Memorize them because we own the test to make sure that you have to buy those copyrights in order to pass the test. And you have to buy the test as well. You see what's wrong with that picture. I mean, yeah. if that was pharmaceutical injury, big pharma owned the hospitals and paid the doctors and everything else, you know, you can see how that could go wrong, but that's happening in education, particularly as SDG four, and it's an absolute travesty and a scandal um, that 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 UNESCO and so forth will allow this to happen. In fact, positively engage with it um, to such a degree. So, don't get me wrong; I absolutely believe in the intent and the direction of SDG four. The problem, however is bigger it's this it's the global system and i i know that you know quite probably quite white rightly listeners to the show will go yeah but graham how do we change that how can we change it of course i mean it's very hard i mean we are in the interregnum though you know as gramsci said we are in the, the interregnum started you know climate change is not not, not you know it started we're in it yeah we're you in know? thralls yeah i mean australia last year was on fire now there's mm. snow i mean huh? yeah. Yeah, not, but not, not, not even uh, last year. It was the beginning of this year before we went into the pandemic. They had released um, their yearly equivalent, equivalent of greenhouse gas emissions and CO2 just through the fires, you know. And we saw, obviously, the koala bears and the really dramatic issues of what was going on there, the animals and, and what was affected. But they released you know, uh, triple the amount that they release in one year just in that fire this year. And then we go into the pandemic and we act like this little pause that we've had is going to be a big, uh, a big reset or, or a savior to us. Uh, there's a lot of positives that have come out of it, um, but we need much more. We need to leave the planet better than we found it. We need to clean up. We need to live in this circular economy and this regenerative thinking that brings me nicely into some other things that you're working on. I have to 
poke fun at you or, or, or tease you a little bit and maybe have you explain. So you have this uh, fabulous book, Learning Reimagined. I never got a copy myself. I've tried to find a copy and buy one, but I don't have 200 euros, 200 pounds, I guess, because it's almost like a university book or it's a hard to get. It's probably out of, out of print. But is there a way to get a, get a PDF version or an online version? Or are you going to go into another copying uh, of it? Yeah, or? I mean, it, it's it's um you know I, I'm I'm as frustrated actually, if not more, because because that comes up a lot, and um, you know, it's a complex situation with 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 the book. I mean, I always wanted there to be a, an electronic version, you know, particularly because I mean, you know, the point of how do we get people to access. Uh, the book, you know, I mean, the books are even more, exp I mean, it's perversely, you know, books are, you know, printed books are much more expensive on the African yeah. continent and so forth than, than they are in, in the Western world. Um, but, but for a variety of reasons that has been done. So the, um, the, the, the organization that commissioned, because this was a very expensive production, I yeah, mean, it yeah. was, a, you know, we had a photographic team, we had a video team, um, we were going into some pretty hairy places um you know the logistics was you know the big logistics team to get us around the world and, and, to, and to make that and, and everything else and that was that was funded by the by the white by wise uh but which is which is a qatar foundation uh, and i'm very thankful for, for them um but their their view of it was not to make it you know as popular as it was i mean it just turned out to be much more popular than than they had imagined it would be i mean they i think they thought that was well, just one print run and that would be done what had happened with that was that, um, you know, I did it in a different way. I mean, I, I, I tried to bring, it was funny, it was my little joke really, was to try and rather than, you know, trying to make the, the, the analog, this, this artifact as a, as, a, as a portal into a digital world. So the way I was doing it was that as I was going around the world, I was using Instagram and blogging and, and all this kind of stuff. So immediately, so I'd, I'd go in like, like, for example, have an interview with Chomsky and then I'd release <coughs> some of it online just so people could see and then i would also just to pass ideas around to to the community that were following it and that, that what was happening was is that they were all these people were following this journey and then they were commenting and in a way they were co-creating the book and you know we had like you know we've had over a million hits on 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 my blog alone during this time and a, and a massive following on instagram at the time and everything else and twitter and so forth um and I remember there was a conversation about <clears throat> how many books we should print. And they, they'd made books before and they hadn't done, they hadn't sold very many. Uh, I mean, you know, maybe a, a few hundred, less than a thousand. <clears throat> and, and so they're using similar numbers. And, I, and, and this was a very different book. And I said, like, you're mad, it's crazy. Because I mean, they'd already been upset about me releasing the book published. Why, why are you releasing stuff? I mean, it's like, no one's gonna buy the book. And I said, no, no, people are gonna buy the book because they've been party to that journey and so forth and so there, you know they went to three runs and then it stopped which is a, a great shame um because there is this demand and then what happened was <clears throat> you know literally as soon as, as soon as the print came out it was sold out i mean it was like just, just like you know immediately which was which is you know very gratifying but also frustrating and then what happened was the books then started selling on the kind of the, 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 the aftermarket and so then it was being traded as university prices. I saw at one point yeah, it was like 1,200 yeah. pounds. And yeah. people were, were, were either flaming me on social media or writing to me and saying, why are you doing this? And I think, like, you know, it was a commission. I didn't, I don't profit yeah. from the sale of books. Um, but, it's a, but I understand the frustration. Um, you know, I've got a couple, I've got a, I've got a little, I've got a box of a few of them here. So if anyone wants them, contact me and I will send I, you I one. I want one. I want one. I'm telling you now. But it, it, it's, it's, you know, the, there isn't, you know, and I've asked many times, can we do a PDF of this? And I will ask again um, after this show. But it's, it's um, for a variety of reasons, it's not being responded to. On the, um, on and, the and website, I think I know what the reason is. On the website, learning-reimagine.com, is there a lot of information on there that we could go and get? Or is it just... Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the, the blog actually, I mean, the, the blog has a, a lot of stuff on there. I mean, it's not, not, it's not exhaustive. Uh, of what's in the book but i think what you can do is i mean hit hit the blog and have a wander around there um, that's sort of learning uh, dash reimagine.com um find me on medium 
because there's a learning reimagined <coughs> publication on medium so just go to medium and tap in learning reimagined you should find it i hope um or you can and also i would say go to my personal website because i i put because when i was doing this we, we shot all these videos and interviews and they form the basis of interviews it's sort of a magazine kind of thing in this desktop uh, so um you know this sort of um you know this is this um you know, it's like a book that you you display, coffee table book, but also with a lot of content. But we filmed things, and I did it in such a way that you could use your use your phone, your the smart your camera, your phone to look at a picture, and that picture would take you somewhere. So not QR codes, it's image recognition, and it would yeah. take you to these videos. But then I I put all the videos out on my website, so all the interviews, you know, with 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 Sir Ken Robinson, with Seth Godin, with Noam Chomsky, with just a one wonderful bunch of people around the world. All those videos are on my website. So it's it's um it's it, you don't mind, yeah. It's Graham Brown Martin, just one word, yeah. dot com slash films. And it's all there. Great. So if you can't get hold of the book, that's the sort of the, the next best option. We'll um, put all the on. links in the show notes and in, and, and with the description yeah. of your biography as well. 